0: has ever done any higher education, you will find that what they're typically going to have you do is you make your point, then you have subpoints to back up your point. I'm in a theology class and this is the big thing. You make your point, you explain, you, you give the definition, you give non-examples, then you make subpoints. It's interesting because the ancient world, like this text, is different than that. In the ancient world, they did not have a point, then subpoints. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, you'd have subpoints leading to your main point. Now, how do I know this? It's because when I was growing up, we did not have Fortnite. We did not have Minecraft. We did not even have Call of Duty. Not really. The Call of Duty we had was annoying and no one played it. It was like the 2001 version. What we had instead was Age of Empires and other games like that that actually had plot and text and historical background. So I remember, like, playing the campaign with Rome would come in and do this, and then you'd have all this reading and all this information. And so I found out that especially with titles, you'd have the least important ones, and they were all subpoints of the main one. And so here's how this text does it. You see four titles right here. It talks about someone's going to be born, someone's going to come, and it gives three ideas first. This person is going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and that proves that they're the Prince of Peace. To be the Prince of Peace, you have to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, and an everlasting father. So what is a Prince of Peace? Because we talked about having a Prince of Peace. What does that mean? A Prince of Peace is a peaceful ruler who comes in peace and establishes peace. It's different than a Prince of War. It's different than a war hero. So... Let's talk about some non-examples of a Prince of Peace. In the ancient world, thank you, Age of Empires, for this and history class in high school, but mainly computer games. Um, so in the ancient world, you had a thing called a Carthaginian peace. Has anyone ever heard of this? So a Carthaginian peace is peace through annihilation. So these, this group of people decided it would be a good idea to pick on Rome and get into a war with them. Um, and so they had what's called the Second Punic War. In the Second Punic War, Carthage lost to Rome, and Rome said, we're going to take away all of your colonies, and we're going to control everything you do. Now, Carthage, uh, they weren't happy with that, neither was Rome, so that led us to the uh, the third Punic War. And so at this point, Rome was not happy that we had another Punic War, so what they decided is, okay, Carthage, this time we're going to have a Carthaginian peace. We're going to burn your city to the ground, enslave all your people, and... Now, this is disputed, but I love the story of this. We're going to go to all your farmland, and we're going to throw salt everywhere down so that nothing can ever grow here again, and it's going to be desert. It's going to be barren. That's not a Prince of Peace. Creating a Carthaginian peace and just ending the fighting creates hurt and pain and desert. It doesn't create anything good. Now, this happened in our own country, too. And we're still dealing with the after effects of this. At the end of the Civil War, Yes, the Confederacy was wiped out. We had peace through annihilation by no more Confederacy. But think about what happened next. You had a painful reconstruction. You had some very painful parts of the 13th Amendment with incarceration. You had just this time of Jim Crow. And you've had all these years then since that we're still reeling from this after effect. It's not peace. Just because we end the fighting doesn't mean there's peace. This happens in our families, too. If a family has a painful divorce and one side just cuts the other side out, it ends the fighting but it doesn't bring peace. There's still deep wounds and pain and hurt, after effects that are still dealt with. In jobs, if we have a difficult coworker or we are the difficult coworker, if we just get the coworker fired, it ends the fighting but it doesn't bring anyone peace. That is not what it means to be a prince of peace. Defeating your enemy Enemy has painful results. It isn't God's way and it doesn't bring peace. Instead, the peace comes from the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. The prophet Isaiah doesn't write about a conqueror, but a peaceful ruler who comes in peace and establishes peace. Isaiah's Prince of Peace makes further fighting pointless. So today, further fighting is pointless. Christ has come Christ has done all the work we need. And now we don't need to fight. We need to humbly walk and accept his grace in our lives, be open, be prayerful, and bring our concerns to him. The fighting is just pointless. We can do it, but it does all those things like rent space in our heads, etc. But I'll tell you, we know that, but we all have times in our lives where we've struggled and we've thought, you know, I can work this out on my own terms. You know, if I get really angry, um, it'll solve it. If I have overwhelming force and just, that'll solve it. If I come in and I bargain or I compromise my integrity, that will solve it. But ultimately, these just further the fight. These don't bring us peace. We've all tried winning that way, and it never brings peace or a good outcome. You know, I'm I'm a young Christian man, and I've observed in our world, in our country, in our society, in our communities... I've observed whether it's for the last six months, two years, eight years, 20 years, doesn't matter. I've observed this pendulum, and it seems like the pendulum swings one way, and one group of people is really unhappy, and one group of people gets their way. But strangely enough, that group of people, both of them don't have peace. And then the pendulum swings another way, maybe six months, maybe two years, maybe eight years, maybe five weeks, doesn't matter. swings another way, another group of people gets their way, no one has peace, and the fighting continues. And it goes over and over and over again. And I think its best is summed up. What happens, unfortunately, it's kind of like Mercutio's words in Romeo and Juliet. If you remember Mercutio, where he says, a plague on both your houses. When we get to the point where we're so divided, the pendulum just swings this way and that way. And the fighting continues. And maybe it stops for a little bit, but then it swings again. No one has peace. No one's happy. And that's kind of where we're at. Being a Christian doesn't mean jumping on the pendulum and trying to hold it one of the ways. It means letting go and accepting that peace comes through Christ alone. So what does that look like? That looks like turning our concerns over to God, praying for our enemies, loving the people when they come after us. When someone comes after you. When someone says, oh, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to get you fired, whatever. Saying, okay. Those are the moments when Jesus said, we got to love those people. Now, that doesn't mean enabling abuse or enabling harm. But we don't want to continue that fighting. We don't want to just jump on that pendulum and try to get our way. It's about being open to the Prince of Peace. And so we're going to look at this Prince of Peace, how he's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting Father. Let's see what it means to be a wonderful counselor. The Prince of Peace must be a wonderful counselor. Counselors, human counselors, come in a couple different types. Um, You can have a counselor, if you're in high school, a guidance counselor helps you pick a college. If you're buying a car, you can have a financial counselor, a credit counselor. People give you advice, they give you direction. Also, if you're going through um, deeper things, maybe you have a trauma counselor, maybe you have a counselor you meet with who's a family counselor. There's all sorts of different types of counsel that are offered. Now, I've tried to distill it down and think of there's really kind of three types of human counselors. A wonderful counselor is different. So let's first look at a human counselor. There's the kind of counselor that tells you what to do, do as I say. There's the kind of counselor that has knowledge and information, do as I know. And then there's the kind of counselor that has experience and has walked the walk and and lived the journey, maybe an addictions counselor maybe a person who's willing to get to know the homeless and help them on the path to restoration. That's a do-as-I-do counselor. But a wonderful counselor is beyond that. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. In the Hebrew, the word wonderful actually means miraculous. Jesus is our miraculous counselor. He offers us wisdom when we actually take it. If we just are self-willed and and focused on what we want to do, we're ignoring that. But not only is He do as I do, because He lived as we do, He encountered all of the temptations and trials. And unlike us, when we crumble, He persevered and He did not cave to sin and temptation. But He's also that wonderful counselor. If we pray to Him, you know, I don't have the ability to change people, places, or things. I can't. I can control me. And if I pray to Christ... I shouldn't try to, like, bargain with him and say, hey, Jesus, uh, that guy, I'm going to pick on Dave right there. Never sit there, Dave. I always pick on whoever's sitting right there. Um, it's often Paul Leary, but it's you today. Uh, I shouldn't bargain with Jesus and be like, hey, Jesus, Dave's really difficult. I need you to change him for me. Um, it's hard. Having to deal with his shoes. Silly example. example. Um, but regardless, that's not what it is. It is taking our concerns to our wonderful counselor and understanding I do not have the ability to change people, places, or things Christ does. That doesn't mean I can control Christ. It means I let go, and his solution's going to be better than mine. His miraculous, wonderful counsel is amazing. I just have to let it happen. I need to allow his wisdom to guide my decisions. My grandfather was a, was a, a pastor, and he often said, you know, Christians misunderstand or don't even believe in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is the idea that God is sovereign, in control, in charge, and that we fail to see that. Instead, we just kind of go through and we we say the Lord's Prayer, we come to church, we do different things, but ultimately we live these very self-willed, self-directed lives where we're just trying to be in control and figure it out. To understand the sovereignty of God is that I don't have all the answers. I can't change anyone else, and that's okay. All I can do is be one little guy, live my life with integrity. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say sorry. If I if I make mistakes, be honest about it, own it. I'm going to try to lead my family the right way, but even my family who I'm leading, I cannot control. I have a 14-month-old. Try to control a 14-month-old. You can't do it. I can't control anyone other than me. I can simply live my life and understand that God is sovereign in control. Things are going to be worked out. I have to let go of them because I have a wonderful counselor. And that makes me think of the idea of, of parenting. So if I want, because I can't control her, but if I want my daughter to like nature and dogs, I take her to the park with my parents. and We go for walks in the park. If I want my daughter to like music or reading, Laura reads with her all the time. My daughter has a, a little, not a baby grand piano like that, but like a toddler grand piano that's like 1 16th the size of that really tiny. We have music time. That's great. We have a bed and bath ritual where I want her to realize that her parents love her and that she, we're the last people that she sees before she goes to sleep, and then she sees us in the morning. But the thing I'm most proud of is what I call praying hands. When I say to Ruby, now she, she's working on it, so it's not perfect. But when I say to Ruby, praying hands, she folds her hands. Because we're teaching Ruby that mom and dad don't have all the answers. We're fallible. We're, we're not perfect. But Jesus is her wonderful counselor, and she can bring her concerns to him. So what I found out recently is I drop Ruby off every morning to grandma's house, my mom's house. And we have this whole ritual where I wave bye-byes and go. And then I didn't know this. But my mom then says to Ruby, okay, let's pray for Dada. And she prays for me. And without being told what to do, Ruby folds her hand, praying hands. And that's so crucial for me. I just look at that and say, wow, I maybe am failing at everything else, but at least I'm allowing my daughter to see that she has a wonderful counselor. Because we can have peace in our lives when we begin by knowing we have a wonderful counselor. And that leads us to the mighty God we forget, we often look at Jesus and we just say, oh, he's Jesus, and there's also God, and there's also the Holy Spirit. But the text tells us he's not only a wonderful counselor, look at this next slide, he is a mighty God. For one to be a prince of peace, he must be a mighty God. Now, in the ancient world and today, we misunderstand power. We think the power is about fighting. We think it's about winning. We also think that it's like in weird places. We think the power comes everywhere other than God. So in the ancient world, they had two main ways they did this. Number one, they had kings, and they said, oh, the king must be a god. He must be divine. Now, a funny thing happened. They'd create your whole imperial cult. The king was divine. Then the king would die. Be like, oops, he wasn't as divine as we thought, but the next king's divine. And then that had happened, and the next king was divine. That was one way. Then also, they would think power came from these statues, Whether they were huge statues or little statues, snakes and Moloch and Baal and all these different things. And they're idols. They're they're things that they looked and turned to instead of God, expecting that they'd have power, being shocked when they didn't. Being shocked when that snake statue was a snake statue and couldn't do anything else. Now, in our world today, maybe we don't think kings are divine. Maybe we don't have Moloch, Baal, and snakes and golden calves in the same way. But we make other things idols. We make our economy, our politicians, our social media, lifestyles, possessions, status. These are all idols. These are all things we think have power. And we we say those have power instead of mighty God. But think about recent history. If we go back to 2008, 2009, we thought the economy had power. Then look what happened. Um, This year, we thought technology and and modernization had power. Then a a tiny little germ has outsmarted us all. The reality is time and time again, we see what has real power. And it's not the things that are the idols. It's mighty God. We are reminded that those things are always going to let us down. The king that we think is divine is going to die and not be divine. The, the statues and the idols are just statues and idols. They're going to let us down. I will tell you, not weighing in here, but just being honest, if we think that when a vaccine comes, that it's going to solve all of life's problems, make us into a perfect utopia where everyone gets along, there's no division, no pain, no fighting, that's just not true. Little things do not solve the issue. Things come and go. There's going to be new issues. There's going to be new problems. Ultimately, the only thing that's going to solve everything is mighty God and turning and understanding where the power comes from. And so that brings us back to sports, because all roads lead back to sports. So we think of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali had this moment where he was, people thought he was washed up. Now, he was the greatest, so he was never washed up. But they thought he was washed up. So he was going to fight this guy, George Foreman. And George Foreman was young and big and powerful. And everyone was like, oh, he's going to get pulverized. But they forgot that Muhammad Ali had power under control. And so Muhammad Ali decided to do this thing. I don't know if you know it. The rope-a-dope. Anyone familiar with the rope-a-dope? So basically, George Foreman, big guy, can hit Muhammad Ali as often as he wants, for as long as he wants. And he does it, I believe, eight rounds. Then at the point where George Foreman is completely exhausted, Muhammad Ali has just been kind of taking it. Everyone was like, what is he doing? He's losing. This is ridiculous. Now Muhammad Ali looks over, kind of gives a smirk, sees that George Foreman is exhausted. Five punches. George Foreman's on the ground. The ref calls the fight because he's like, man, if this continues, Foreman's going to get pulverized. Like, not good. Can't have it go. The ref recognized that Ali had power under control. And that's what we have with Mighty God. The idols, all the things in our lives that we think are going to help us, they let us down. But we have mighty God in our corner. Christ is not only the wonderful counselor with the miraculous advice, Christ also is mighty God, the power under control. Think about with the triumphant entry, right? Right? We, we all look at the triumphant entry, which is Palm Sunday, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey. We look at that and we kind of forget what it is. So I'm going to paint it as if it happened next year. So let's say the pandemic's over and we're, we're, we're back at normal life. We're getting, we need that for my example. Um, and so let's say that happens. And we hear that this champion, this conqueror is coming and this person who's going to just make everything better and is going to come to New York Harbor. So everybody gathers in New York City, and they're all excited, and they're all waiting. All the celebrities come out. Um, they're all ready for their hashtags and their appearances. Helicopters are there. Uh, the media's there. Everybody's all excited. Red carpet, whole deal. And they expect that this, this, mighty, this mighty conqueror is going to come in and just totally change everything. Then a dude, 30 years old, probably scrawny, glasses, long hair, in a rusty rowboat comes wearing sandals, and he starts talking about peace and love and forgiveness and grace and loving your enemies. That's the equivalent of what it is when Christ came on Palm Sunday. And that doesn't mean he didn't have power. Just because he didn't conquer Rome doesn't mean he couldn't. As the old song says... He could have called 10,000 angels just because you have power under control. Just because Christ doesn't choose to embarrass the co-workers, doesn't choose to cut out the family members, doesn't choose to do all the things that we we do that we, we think by fighting, we think we can solve the problem, doesn't jump on the pendulum and jump on the bandwagon. Just because he doesn't do those doesn't mean he doesn't have power. The fact that he doesn't do those means he has power. He doesn't need to be part of that constant fighting and constant cycle. And so that's really what we have to ask. Like, are we then understanding if we have the mighty God in our corner, are we going to Him in prayer? Are you staying up at night, late at night, just all anxious and frustrated and worried? If so, are you turning your concerns over to God and saying, okay, Jesus, I can't do this. I need some help here. Please give me a way forward. Are you... Struggling with your kids? Are you praying for them to Mighty God? Are you dealing with difficulties in your marriage? This is an opportunity to maybe pray yourself, maybe pray for your spouse, with your spouse, and to say, Mighty God, bring me a solution here. No matter what, if we understand that Christ is our Prince of Peace, the peaceful ruler who comes in peace, bringing peace, establishing peace, and we go to Him, things get better. Because ultimately, He's not only the wonderful Counselor and the mighty God, He's the everlasting Father as well. The Prince of Peace must be an everlasting Father. You know, we have a lot of, oftentimes when we talk about parents, I acknowledge that we all have different situations with parents. I personally have been blessed to have wonderful parents. I know that's not everyone's situation. I know that, ultimately, some of us have had wonderful parents, some not, some in situations between. But what we know about parents, no matter how great or not great they are, is all parents are human. All parents are not everlasting. All parents eventually do die. We will all eventually die. This is just the reality. I think of the fact that I had four wonderful Christian grandparents. All of them are now gone. Because to be human is to not be everlasting. What I do know is that right now, with the human relationships we have, we take advantage of them, we enjoy them, we appreciate them. But they're human relationships. I mentioned that we take Ruby and and I go with my parents and my dog for walks in the park. You know, recently my daughter. Now, in the first service, people didn't recognize this, so maybe this is a weird Cushing thing, but my. Daughter is 14 months old, and she's decided that it's a good idea to shove her hand down her throat. Is this familiar for anybody? Yeah, all right, excellent. Thank you. I I feel feel so not like the only one. Well, my mother also said it's not the only one because my mother is amazing with small children and with dogs. She's the best. She's excellent. But ultimately, her wisdom with small children and dogs is human, and eventually it won't be with us. And so I appreciate it now when I have it. I think of the fact that we are not everlasting. We are human. When I was a a child, my dad did a funeral for a 101-year-old woman with a 70-year-old daughter. And that made me realize that even if I live to be 70 and my parents live to be 101, we will still likely have times when we don't have our human parents here. Because human parents are not everlasting. But Jesus is. Jesus is that great parent. When we struggle, we can turn to Him. Because He's not here today, gone tomorrow. What we forget is that all the challenges that we go through, just like the fact that we are not everlasting, the challenges, the things we're dealing with today are also not everlasting. The fears, the anxieties, the uncertainties, those also pass. The only thing that's not everlasting is Christ. He is our wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. And He is not Yes, when he was here, he was fully God, fully human. But he's not someone who's going to be human and fade away. He is everlasting. And that gives us perspective. That allows us to say, hey, those things that I'm going through today that are just so difficult, they're going to pass away. I can remember who and what is eternal and everlasting and realize that everything else isn't. Because peace comes when we turn our concerns to our Prince of Peace. So my question is, do you trust him? We have an opportunity today, when our country is so anxious, so stressed, so worried, we have an opportunity to see that this is not everlasting, this is not forever. Christ is everlasting, our Prince of Peace is everlasting, but these things, these worries, are not. We have an opportunity to quit saying, I'll pray for you, and start praying for people. We have an opportunity to quit fretting at night, but simply can turn our concerns over to God. How does this happen? People say, that's great. That sounds amazing, David. I don't get it. Okay. Well, I've been suffering through a little object lesson for you guys to see that. You've been seeing me play with this tape measure. Okay? So, sometimes we have things in our lives that are like this annoying tape measure. Now, I'm not wearing a belt. I'm not the home improvement guy, so I'm not an expert with it. And I have this little extra burden. It's not horrible, but I'd really rather not preach with an extra tape measure without a belt on me. It was uncomfortable. It jabbed into different parts of me, and I didn't like it. So we can choose to continue to carry these burdens with us and just say, oh, it's so awful. Honestly, it's really not. This too will pass. It's a tape measure. But in the moment, it did really jab into my hip, and it really did hurt. So giving it up looks like this. I'm going to invite my wife to come up here. Hi, Laura. She's the best. So here she comes. And I'm going to say, Laura, i got to get this back to my basement. Would you do me a favor? I love you. Would you take this? And I don't want to worry about it. I want to think about it. So will you take this? And will you make sure it gets back to the basement? Okay. She said yes. Hooray. Thank you so much. Now, if I'm new to handing things over... For a few moments, I'm going to be thinking of that tape measure. There she is walking down the aisle. Um, She went back to her seat. So she's got in her seat. Oh, I hope she doesn't leave it. But the thing is, the more we do this, the more we begin to hand things over to God, let's be super honest about something. Sorry, reality check. The tape measure is not the only thing that I'm carrying that I probably should have put down. I probably should have put this down. I've got a mask that I probably should have had on my wrist, right? I've got all these other things I'm carrying. So the reality is, is that when we hand things over to God, at first it's going to be hard to let go of them. But the more we do it, the easier it becomes. The more we get distracted by other things that we also need to turn over. And it's a positive process. When we start seeing that our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, is our Prince of Peace. He's on our side. And He wants us to turn these things over to Him. Today when we're sitting here wondering about, is the new year really going to bring the differences that I hope? Are we placing our hope in the new year or are we placing our hope in Christ? If we're sitting and saying, oh, I, I really hope that this vaccine is the right thing, are we hoping in a vaccine or are we hoping in Christ? If we if we look and say, oh, I hope in my family that things just work out, are we are we hoping in... Are we hoping in the things of this world? Are we trusting that God is sovereign? And that if we let go and pray, that doesn't mean we then disobey worldly authorities. It doesn't doesn't mean we we start going self-willed again. It means we literally let go, say, God, my everlasting Father, my mighty God, my Prince of Peace, my wonderful Counselor, I need help. I'm going to let go of this. Please lead me and guide me forward. Because we have an amazing opportunity today and prayer is that first step. Letting go. I don't have the answers. I don't have the self-will. I, I don't have the way to fix it. But God does. We have that power under control. And so I invite you to pray with me. Father, we just ask that in this time of uncertainty that we would not continue to cling to all the things that are going to let us down, but ultimately we would place our hope in You. We would know that the Prince of Peace is He's our wonderful Counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father. And that He's providing the way for us. And so we ask during this time of Advent, of expectation, that we would not simply look at this and have a feeling of anxiety or uncertainty, but we would look and say, you know what? What is certain is You. You are the Prince of Peace. So let's now live with this in mind and go humbly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.